Welcome to Thrive Church, and we want to wish all of you fathers a very happy Father's Day. You know, we're celebrating Father's Day, and man, we are so proud of dads. And uh, if you're a dad, man, we just commend you and thank you. And, and you know, I love Father's Day for a lot of reasons. One, because I, I'm a dad. I'm, I'm a dadalorian today. Um, but also because it's my one time out of the year to get away with some dad jokes. So here we go. Um, uh, can someone tell me what IDK means? Because everyone I keep asking says, I don't know. Um, I just found out that my toaster wasn't waterproof. Man, was I really shocked. Um, I was recently arrested for impersonating a politician. I was just sitting around doing nothing. You know, today I saw somebody waving at me, and I wasn't sure if they were waving at me or the person behind me. Uh, in other news, uh, I was also fired from my job as a lifeguard. Uh, so some of these you guys are going to get, like, later on. And, you know, if, if, if you're a lady, I'm sorry, you may have to ask some guy about these two. You know, my, my wife's birthday is next week, and she's been leaving these jewelry catalogs all over the house. So I decided to get her a magazine rack. Um, I applied for a job hanging mirrors. It's something I can really see myself doing. Uh, I got into an argument with my wife on the elevator, and I was wrong on so many different levels. Uh, my, my wife asked me to put ketchup on the shopping list, and now I can't read anything else that's on it. Um, my son asked me if he could eat the cake in the fridge. I said, sure, but the dining room would be more comfortable. Um, and, then, and then finally, you think gas is expensive? You should see chimneys. They're through the roof. Um, anyhow, that's my one year uh, of dad jokes. But we are, we are in our series called Nerves of Steel, and we're talking about uh, the life of Daniel, and it's all about how to stand strong in the face of difficulty, how to stand firm, stand strong in adversity, how to serve God when it's looked down upon by everyone. In this world that we live in, it's like everyone looks down on, on people that have faith, it seems like, and, and people that follow Jesus. It's like it's easy for, for the world to criticize, and it's easy for us to, to kind of back down. But this is all about how to be brave in the face of adversity. So this series is all about Daniel. However, however, we're going to be taking a break from Daniel today. We're not going to talk about him that much. We're going to have a little chat about some of his buddies. Now, all of these were, were exiles. They were all kidnapped from, uh, from uh, Judah, the land of Judah, from Jerusalem. They were kidnapped, brought hundreds of miles away to Babylon as prisoners of war, essentially. But they were also trained in the ways of Babylon, and they were trained to be leaders and trained to be advisors to the king Nebuchadnezzar. And they really excelled in all that they did, and they gained uh, positions of great rank and prominence. So that's where we're going to pick up here in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officials 
to come to the dedication of this statue he had set up. So he erects this statue in the middle of a, uh, a great plain. And, and the this, this statue had very weird proportions, right? It was 90 feet tall by only 9 feet wide. And so it's perhaps we, we gravitate towards thinking of the figure of a man for some reason. However, that doesn't really fit. Maybe there was some uh, features on it. Maybe at the top was something. But most probably this was a shape very similar to like an obelisk. An obelisk is like the, the Washington Monument, you know, a tall tower with a point at the top. It was probably something similar to that, and he erects this statue, and it's gold. We don't know if it was solid gold. Most likely it wasn't. It was most likely overlaid with gold, but, man, it must have been brilliant seeing this thing reflecting the sunlight, and he brings all of the leaders of the land to gather together for the grand opening of the statue that he's erected. Now, this happens probably about 10 to 15 years after the dream we talked about last week. And this is also in direct contrast to the dream that we talked of last week. See, last week we talked of a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of a statue of a man, and the head was made of gold, the, you know, the chest was made of silver. The arms were made of bronze. Or, I'm sorry. Um, uh, the, 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 the chest was made of silver. The arms were made of silver. Then the, the, uh, the waist was made of bronze. The legs were made of iron. And then the feet were made of iron mixed with clay. And so this was the, the dream that he had. And it was of these kingdoms that progressively got kind of weaker and progressively got less valuable. And he was representative of the golden head. But now, almost in defiance to that dream, he erects a, a, a statue and it's all gold. He's like saying, you know what? It's all Babylon. It's all me. It's all gold. From the top to the bottom, it's all gold. And, and in the dream that he had, it was, a, it was a warning that his reign would end. But he's kind of defying that. He's saying, my, my kingdom won't come to an end. We, the Babylonians, will rule forever. So he erects this massive, massive statue in the plain of Dura, and he's going to throw a party. And this is going to be a great party. It's kind of like a, like a world premiere for a movie or something where, where everybody is pulling up in their, in their stretched, uh, I don't know, carriages being pulled by like six camels or something. And, and they're all pulling all the magistrates, the who's who, and they got the red carpet and they got the paparazzi. And, and there's a host there asking them, so what are you wearing? And they're like, well, I'm wearing a custom cloak from Shemesh of Nineveh, you know, and, and they're doing all their fancy things. And, and they're, they're walking around. Everybody who's anybody is there for the grand opening of this statue. So they're there together. We'll continue in verse 3. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had, had set up. They're going to have the ribbon-cutting ceremony, and, and they're going to marvel at this statue. It says, then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And then here it takes a slightly dark turn. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. 
So it's like no pressure here, but do it or you're going to die, right? Like, like so, so they're doing this. We're going to celebrate, but if you refuse, well, it's lights out for you. It's kind of like they're playing some weird game of, of musical chairs, right? It's like you ever play musical chairs and everybody's going around. There's five people, but there's only four chairs. and The music stops. Everybody has to sit down and somebody's left out. Well, this is kind of like musical chairs, except they're saying once the music starts, everybody bow down on the ground and worship this statue. And if you don't, if you're left standing, we're going to throw you into a furnace and burn you alive. Now, just want to clarify some things about Nebuchadnezzar. The first 20 years of his reign was not very impressive. Like he was king of Babylon. We think of him as a great king. History remembers him as a great king. But his first 20 years were pretty lackluster. Like like he had very little success on the battlefield. And the nations actually began to doubt his ability to govern the entire world. But finally, he started to have some military success. He had destroyed Judah and Jerusalem and other nations. He conquered them. And now, to prove his world dominion, he erects a statue and he demands the world to pay allegiance. He demands them to admit that he is king and Babylon is the ruling power of the world. So they all gather around, and the DJ turns up the music, and the music is going, and everyone bows down, and they begin worshiping the statue. And there must have been thousands of people in this plane, and they're all there, and the music is jamming, but not everybody bowed down. There was at least three people that didn't bow down, and they're just kind of standing there, like, awkwardly, like, hey, hello, you know? It's like they stick out like a sore thumb now. They're not bowing down, these three people. These three were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We learned of them early on. They were three of Daniel's closest friends. And if you're like me, you probably begin wondering, where was Daniel in all of this? Why was it just three? Well, one thing that we know about Daniel was he was not one to bow down to anything. He was not one to, to do something like this. So, so we don't question his loyalty. Most scholars believe that due to his high rank in the kingdom, most likely he was traveling abroad doing official work on behalf of Babylon, negotiating deals or, or making peace treaties with other countries, doing something like that, and was not even present here in this situation. So these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do not bow down. And then there was some astrologers who come and rat them out. They rat them out. They're going to tell them. Now, chances are these astrologers had been saved by Daniel many years earlier. If you remember last week what we talked about, last week Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and brought all of the astrologers, the magicians, the advisors, he brought them all together and he said to them, I want you to tell me the dream that I had and give me its interpretation. None of them could do that, so he sentenced them all to die. Well, Daniel, fortunately, through the power of God, was able to do this, was able to tell the king the dream and the interpretation and spared the lives of many of these astrologers, very likely some of these, but how quickly they forgot. And so now they're jealous of the positions of these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had positions of great power. The scripture says that they were 
Uh, they managed the affairs over the entire province of Babylon. They were like the administrators. Their word was law. They were the ones who, who kind of ran all of Babylon. So these were very important roles. And so these astrologers, they were trying to do what many of us do, is to step over whoever they can in order to gain a better position for ourselves. They wanted to exploit any weakness. And since these three were not bowing down, they decided, hey, maybe we can rat them out, get these guys knocked off, and then perhaps we can take their jobs. So they go to the king and they tell the king, hey, you know, you played the song. It was a good song. It was a song that made us all want to bow down and worship your statue. But you know what? There's three of your leaders that pay no attention to you. They don't listen to you, they don't care about you, and they refuse to worship your gods, and they wouldn't bow down to the statue. They wouldn't bow down. Now, here's the challenge for you and the challenge for me in your notes is don't bow down to the idols of this world. You know, this world is offering us a variety of idols to bow down to. Idols of power, of money, of sex, of, of uh, politics, all these idols the world is offering to us to bow down to. Don't bow down to these idols. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down. And so they come and they rat them out. They tell on him. And King Nebuchadnezzar flies into a rage and says, bring me these men who would not bow down. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were brought to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he sees them. And he knows who they are because they're leaders in his province. He knows that they were captured from, from Jerusalem and brought there. And now he spent time and effort and energy to develop them into who they are. And so he's angry to them, but he's probably also feeling a little hurt. He's like, you know, after all I've done for you, I could have slaughtered you years ago. After all, all I've done for you, you know what? I'm a nice guy. I'm going to give you one more chance. I didn't have to do it, but I am going to show you some mercy. I'll give you one more chance for you to go and bow down. But let me warn you, if you refuse to do that, then your dead meat, we're throwing you into the furnace. And then what God can save you? Certainly the Babylonian gods can't save you because he thought that he was more powerful than even the Babylonian gods. And the truth was, he was more powerful than those gods because those gods were simply made out of stone and gold and wood. And what power did they have? And Nebuchadnezzar knew they had no real power, but he had the power to take their life. He says, you know, I'm more powerful than them, but what he failed to consider was he was not more powerful than the one true living God that these men worshipped. In Daniel 3, verse 16 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Underline that. The God whom we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Like they're still being so polite. They're still being so respectful. They're like, oh, with all due respect, your majesty, uh, we, we, we don't need to defend ourselves because we believe that God will save us. Our God is able 
to save us and can rescue us. But here's where it all turns is in verse 18. But even if he doesn't. Underline that. But even if he doesn't. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Think about the boldness, the nerves of steel that these guys have. They say, hey, king, we appreciate the fact that you're giving us a second chance. Like, that's so nice of you. We appreciate it, but we want to make something very clear to you. We will not bow down. We will not bow down because we will not dishonor God, and we know that he is powerful enough to save us. But even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down. We are going to stand strong. Our faith is in God and in God alone. And God is able to save us, but it's okay if he doesn't. We're not afraid to die. We'll willingly go there because they knew God's power. But in your notes, we may not know God's will, but we do know God's power. See, this is the challenge for us because many of us, we want to know God's will. But God's will is not always clear. But we can know God's power. We can know that my God is able. My God is powerful. He is able to save me and to deliver me. But even if he doesn't, I still will not bow down. And so this made Nebuchadnezzar furious. Like he was fuming. He's like, like, like I gave you a chance. The Bible says that his face distorted with rage. Like he was so mad. At first he was kind of mad, kind of like a dad would be mad, right? Like, like oh, you kind of disappointed me, but I'm going to give you another chance because I'm, I'm a soft guy and I just want you to come along and we want to be one big happy family. But now he's furious and he wants them dead. How dare they defy him? How dare they defy this altar, this statue that he set up? See, they were saying, we are confident that God is good. We are confident. Many of us, though, we're like, well, I'll serve God as long as he gives me what I want. As long as he does the things that I want in my life. As long as I get my, my miracle. But in your notes, we can still love God even if the miracle doesn't come. We can still love him even if the miracle doesn't come. Even if what we're hoping for, what we want doesn't come, we can still serve him. Saying, I know that he's able, but what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? I'll still love him. I'll still serve him. Sure, I have desires. I have dreams. I have hopes. I have goals. But what if he doesn't fulfill them? Will I then turn my back on him because he didn't fulfill what I thought he should do? See, these three men said, I choose to serve God no matter what. I choose to. You know, I believe that he can deliver me, but I won't deny him even if he doesn't. What, what if we don't get what we want? Do we turn our back on God when we don't get what we want? Well, I prayed for God to do this, and it didn't happen, so God must not be real. That's not what these men were doing. They said, we will serve you no matter what. The one thing I've often wondered about this story was, why did only three get caught? I mean, there was thousands and thousands of, of other captives from, from Jerusalem that had been brought there. Like, were, were they bowing? Like, what was the deal with them? And if you think about it, honestly, right, Daniel's friends could have justified this request to bow down. Because first off, who would know, right? 
Like, who would know? Like, we'll just bow down, and it's going to be okay, you know? The music comes on. I'm just going to lay on the ground and take a little snooze, right? Like, I'm just going to lay here. I'm just going to think happy thoughts. I'm not worshiping the God. I'm just taking a nap in the middle of the plane. Like, I'm just out here hanging out. I'm not worshiping the God. God knows my heart. And you know what? God would forgive me anyway, so I don't need to stand out. I don't need to stick out like a sore thumb. I'm just going to lay down when the music comes. I wonder how many of the other people did that very same thing, who they wanted to stand, but they said, you know what, I'm just going to blend in. I don't want to stand out. See, these three trusted that God was in control, but this infuriated King Nebuchadnezzar, and he demanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter, seven times. He said, throw more fire on, make this thing hot. And he took his strongest soldiers and had these three bound with ropes and grabbed them and throw them into this fiery furnace. And they go and they throw them into the fiery furnace. And the, the furnace was so hot, the scripture says, that as these soldiers, these strong soldiers, threw them into the furnace, that the heat was so intense that it killed the soldiers on the spot. Now, I don't know if you've ever been you know, near a, a hot fire before. But a couple years back, there was a grocery store near my house that, uh, that caught on fire. And, and I had to go down there, and I had to check it out and look at it. And I was standing across the, the, the road, and you could feel the heat from this inferno. And I brought my kids down, and we're watching it and saying, hey, you know what? I bet they got some s'mores in there right now because they got the marshmallows and graham crackers and chocolate, but I don't think we should go in and get it. Um, but, you know, this thing was so hot. And, and, and I think about how hot this was, and these guys, they, they get killed immediately throwing these men in there. And then in verse 24, it says, but suddenly, so they throw them in the fire. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? He's like, hold on. Do we have any math professors here? Like, I, I'm not that good at counting here. Didn't we throw in three? How many was it that we threw in there? And they all come up, yes, your majesty, we certainly did. I counted them. There was three. One, two, three. And Nebuchadnezzar says, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Man, this must have been wild. He's like, I thought we threw in three. Now there's four. I mean, I mean, they're in there, and, and, and they're having this party, and the party was lit, like literally, you know. I mean, it was on fire, and they're just they're, they're chatting like, hey, man, it's a little warm in here. Yeah, it's okay. It's a dry heat. <laughs> you know, they're having a, a good time in there. If you read the Septuagint, the Septuagint was an early Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it says that they were singing praise to their God in the fire. So they're in there singing. I don't know what song they were singing in there, but it might have been like, it's getting hot in here. No, probably not that song. Um, maybe they're singing, there was another in the fire standing next to me. Yeah, Jesus, high five, you know. So they're all in there. They're hanging out in there, and they're in the fire. Now, Here's, here's something for our notes. that Our faith should be in God's ability, though, not in our desired results. See, their faith was in God. Hey, he's able to. They didn't know they were going to be having a dance party in the fire. They didn't know they were going to just be walking around free. I mean, the, the odds were against them, but they had faith in God, and God showed up in a powerful way. 
Nebuchadnezzar comes over and he shouts and he says, hey guys, come on out. And they're like, okay. And they come out and guess what? Like their clothes weren't even burned. They weren't even singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. If you've ever been around a campfire, you know, you, you know what this is like. I was around a campfire last night. And, man, as soon as you walk away, anybody that you come in contact with, they're like, oh, were you around a campfire? It's like, how do you know? Because you smell like a campfire, right? The smell, smoke permeates you. And they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. And this blew King Nebuchadnezzar's mind. Like, he's like, oh, my goodness, I don't know how this happened. And then the guy who was infuriated just a few moments before, now he praises God. And he's saying, I can't believe this. You guys defied the king's command, and you were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other god. And he commends him. And look what he does, happens here in uh, Daniel 3.29. He says, Therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whether their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. It's like, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, why don't we just chill out with the ripping people apart and destroying their houses? Like, like I think God can defend himself here. He just saved three guys out of a fiery furnace. You don't need to rip anybody out. Like, let's not kill anybody for the rest of the day, Nebuchadnezzar. But here's the, ver the part I want to get to. Underline this. There is no other God who can rescue like this. There is no other God who can rescue like this. See, Nebuchadnezzar knew it. He's like, I'm greater than all the gods of Babylon. I'm greater than all the other gods of these other cities. And now he realizes, wow, there is a God. And there is no other God who can rescue like this. See, I believe that God is with us. Jesus was with them in the furnace. And in your notes, God is always with us in our struggles. No matter what struggle you may face in your life, God is with you. When it feels like you're going through a fiery furnace of difficulties, of sickness, of financial disaster, God is always with us in our struggles. It says in John 16, Jesus is speaking here and he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. Everybody's like, I'm holding on to the promises of God. Here's one for you, okay? You're gonna have trials and you're gonna have sorrows. Jesus promises it. But he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I have overcome, I will be with you. I will be there in the middle of the fire. I will be guiding you. See, see, th they realized that God may not always save. It, we, we know that he's able, but he may not save right now. Later on in the Bible, we see a man named Stephen. And Stephen was preaching the gospel. And he was arrested. And they sentenced him to die there on the spot. And they began to stone him. And, and we would have loved to see a happy ending to that story but the happy ending for Stephen was that he looked up and he saw the heavens open to him. And he said, God, forgive these people that are stoning me. And he died there as he was being stoned. Other people throughout history were burned at the stake for their faith in Jesus. Many of them singing as it happened or saying that they didn't feel any pain because their focus was on Jesus Christ. See, God, God may not always deliver us from the fire. But he'll always bring us through. He'll always be there with us. In your notes, God doesn't always deliver us from the fire, but he will take us through it. 
He will take us through. He will be there with us as we go through it. So what fiery furnace are you facing? Are we trusting in God or are we only trusting for an outcome? Oh, I'm believing God for this. I'm believing God for that. Or are we just believing God? See, God promises that he will be with you in the fire, that he will be with you in the difficulty, that he will be with you in the crisis, in the breakup, and in the hardship. So what fiery furnace are we facing? The other thing that I think is so fascinating about this story was that the only thing that was burned in the fire was the ropes that bound them. The only thing that was burned was the ropes that tied them up. In other words, they were thrown into the fire in bondage, but when they came out, they were free. They went in tied up and bound, but God burned the things that held them back, the things that tied them up. And I believe in the last thing in your notes is that God will use your fiery furnace to bring freedom. He'll bring freedom. God will use the fiery furnace to purify you. God will use the difficulties that you face to shape you. You know why? Because character is formed in the fiery furnace. Maybe the thing that you're in right now is the very thing that God wants to use to bring you freedom. So often we ask God to build character in our lives, but we don't realize that the way that we get the character is by going through the fiery furnace. Every culture is setting up a God and saying to worship it. Bow down and worship the God of power, the God of sex, the God of politics, the God of popularity, the God of education. Bow down or else, or else you won't fit in. Bow down to the God of politics. Bow down or else you won't fit in. You'll be ostracized. We will throw you in the fiery furnace. But my challenge to each of you today is this. Do not bow down. Stand strong. Be bold. Trust in God. Trust that he will save. Trust that he will deliver. Trust that he will heal. Trust that he will restore. But even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down to the things in this world. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that you've made a way for us. Lord, we ask you to give us the boldness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Give us the boldness to stand strong in the face of adversity. To stand strong when everyone else is bowing down that we stand strong. Trusting that you will deliver us, but even if you don't, we will not bow down. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Lord, don't let another day go by. I believe God is specifically calling you right now and inviting you into his family. God's word says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Won't you call on his name right now? Scripture says that if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you call on his name, say, Jesus, you are my Lord, that you will be saved. Won't you call on his name now and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Lord, we thank you that in just the same way you saved Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you are saving us, that you are with us in the fire. You are with us in the hardship. And even though life is difficult at times, and even though you may not 
Spare us from every situation. You've promised to never leave us and never abandon us, that you are there guiding us, that you are there holding our hand, and we can still praise you in the difficult times, that we can still praise you when it seems like all hope is lost because our faith is not in an outcome. Our faith is in you. You are our Savior. You are our God. You are the King over all kings. You are the Lord over all lords. You are the God above all these small gods gods out there. You are the one. And we praise you. We thank you. We will not bow down to the things of this world. We will put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.